your Bibles close, we're going to be looking at quite a few scriptures tonight and, and thinking about several things. I, I realize nowadays that uh, everything we do is, uh, is live and, and it's a, a larger audience than even what is just here tonight. And I feel that this is a subject that this church and myself, we need to go on the record and be very clear on this subject, because sometimes unintentionally things become vague and there are misunderstandings and people don't know exactly where the church stands, but we want to be very clear tonight. So tonight we're going to be looking at the subject of do or die, do or die. Should Christians dye their hair or not? <laughs> and y'all are so sleepy tonight that I can tell I'm going to have to, I wasn't planning to run the aisles, but I'm going to have to do something to wake you up. But, but I, I want us to think about it critically, and I want us to look at the scripture together. And this is a biblical study on the dying of hair. There's no way that I'll be able to cover all of this subject here tonight. We'll have to come back to it another time uh, in the near future and, and finish up. I wrote this an article about this very thing at, at, uh, at my blog, Apostolic Voice. I wrote it, uh, oh, about getting close to a year ago now, and I've been shocked because I really didn't think many people would be interested or read it. People tend to kind of skip to the uh, how to get a Mercedes Benz, you know, if you pray the right prayer. Those are the articles people like to go to. Uh, but the article, I checked it today, it's at 55,000 people have read the blog on the dying of hair. I wrote it, I co-wrote it with Brother Joe Campatella, who is no stranger to this church. And Pastor uh, is, I pray, nearing the completion of an article on the cutting of hair. He's just finished teaching on that. And wasn't that tremendous Bible teaching from our pastor over the past several weeks? And I know the enemy fought him, and I know the enemy has fought me, because the devil hates it when we take a stand for righteousness, when we take a stand for holiness. There's always spiritual attacks, certainly, but even physical attacks when uh, a preacher decides that they're going to take a stand for the Word of the Lord. And, uh, and this one's a little, a little more difficult to teach on, as you'll see in just a moment, than, than even the cutting of the hair. And I, and I know that, that many people have never even paused to consider the possibility that God might care about any part of the way we look or dress or how we live outwardly. Many people have no understanding of that. And some people do understand that God mandates a certain criteria of outward holiness and outward disciplines. Uh, at least at least most Christians have some agreement that we ought to at least be modest. Now, uh, that seems to be going away. More and more Christians seem to have no concern for modesty at all. They'll go uh, on vacation and they'll be naked on the beach just like everybody else. But in times past, Christians at least uh, were able to unite around the principles of modesty. Amen? And most sincere Christians have, have some awareness that God wants us to maintain gender distinctions and avoid vanity in, in our dress and certainly in the way that we act and think. And, and among apostolics, 
And if, if you're not sure, go ahead and point to yourself and say, I'm an apostolic. This is an apostolic church. Among apostolics, there, there's certainly some disagreements regarding how those standards should be applied to our lives. But, but we generally understand that God does have standards that He wants us to follow. Amen? Many, many generations ago, hair dyeing was frowned upon and often outright forbidden across denominational lines. So this, this didn't used to be a controversial subject among Christians. In fact, it really wasn't even controversial in secular settings many generations ago. And there was an almost ecumenical Christian stance against the practice of changing hair color. As with many other standards, over time, most denominations softened or they completely reversed their stance on the issue of hair dye. Now, I grew up in a holiness setting. I grew up under our pastor, my father, and, uh, and I grew up in a setting that strictly opposed the use of hair dye. And I never had the slightest interest in dyeing my hair. Right now, I just wish I had hair. That would be a nice thing. But I never had the slightest interest in dyeing my hair, and I, I really didn't think much about the issue, even though I grew up in the 90s when all the guys were bleach dyeing their hair. And, uh, and I did grow up in the generation where uh, people would come to church and they'd go from having black hair to white hair, and you'd say, what happened? Well, I went swimming, and the chlorine just magically changed my hair overnight. And we had all of those kind of things, but that was never something that was of interest to me. But I do remember being surprised as a teenager, as many apostolic teenagers are, when I realized, much like what our young people are doing tonight in, in the breakout setting, my daughter included. I, I'm torn right now because I'd rather stop teaching and go hear my daughter teach upstairs, but I'm, I'm persevering right now. But uh, I remember being in a setting much like our young people are in tonight where I was asked to teach on a subject. And you know, you will never ever learn something like you do when you have to teach something. Uh, just try teaching something, and all of a sudden, you start learning things you did not know. And uh, I was asked to talk about uh, some holiness issues, and so I, I had to study very, uh, very fervently. I was frenzied. I was nervous, and I was searching the Bible frantically for a scripture that said, Thou shalt not dye thy hair. I was looking for that scripture. And, uh, and to my surprise, I did not find a scripture that said, thou shalt not dye thy hair. Did you know there's not a scripture in the Bible that teaches that? Some of you do, some of you don't. Uh, some of you don't care, but you should care. And, uh, and, and that really threw me for a loop, threw me for a loop. I had to, there was a time in my life when I thought that we had a scripture for every single little thing. But did you know if the Bible specifically addressed every single issue, I mean, it would be a book this big, and uh, all we would do every day is just go through the thou shalt nots and thou shalts and all of those things. And, and so I had to learn as a teenager that I didn't need a thou shalt not verse for everything that God wanted me to do. This would be a good place to say amen. This is where spiritual maturity begins to take place in our hearts. For example, and I'll just give you a quick example. You know, the Bible does not say thou shalt not 
use meth or snort cocaine. The Bible doesn't say that. What the Bible does is the Bible gives us principles about our bodies and principles about not being controlled by anything other than the Holy Spirit of God. So uh, alcohol is another great example. That's why they sometimes call it spirits. I'm not going to let an earthly spirit take control of my mind and my faculties and my body. The only spirit that's going to have control of my body is the Holy Spirit of God. And that's a principle from God's Word. But God, God doesn't give us a, a list of all the drugs that we shouldn't take and all of the things that we shouldn't partake of. Uh, we have principles that are put into place. And, and it's that way with many aspects of, holy, of holiness. And certainly, God gives us leadership. God gives us pastors. God gives us teachers. He gives us His Word, and He gives us the church to lead us and guide us in the ways of righteousness. So, historically, apostolics have contended that, that our doctrine, our, our orthodoxy, our doctrine comes before our orthopraxy. I know that's a big word, but that just means our doctrine in practice, our actions. So we have, you know, have you ever met someone, they believe things, they believe certain things, like, for example, they believe that they should not lie. That's their, ortho, that's their orthodoxy, that's their doctrine, but they still lie to people. So there's a big difference between believing something and actually doing something. Everybody okay? There's a big difference between believing that I, I really should save my money and actually saving my money, right? Sometimes the doing it is harder than the knowing it. And so apostolics have believed that, that we should have our doctrine and our doctrine should shape the way that we live. And there's an, we could take it down even further and, and say it the way the old timers used to say it. You get what you preach. Anybody ever heard that expression? You get what you preach. And oddly, for, for many years, my denomination, which I love, the United Pentecostal Church International, for many years, in fact, my entire life, has taken a stand against hair dye. And yet I can't remember ever hearing a single sermon about it in my entire life. Very rarely have I heard anyone, and I've been to, except for my own father, I should throw that in. Very rarely, and I've been to hundreds, maybe thousands of church services and meetings, and very rarely have I heard anyone mention hair dye, and yet we do, at least, at least uh, on paper, we take a stand against it. And this is a problem. This is a problem. And so it's no wonder that hair dyeing is becoming more and more common and more and more controversial in holiness circles. That's, I know we're tired tonight and we're afraid of COVID and all of those things, but it's also one of the reasons that some of us feel a little uncomfortable tonight because this is a subject that we usually don't talk about. It's one of those things that we just kind of, we know it and we kind of, but we don't really talk about it out loud. This is wrong. If we take a stand for something, we should have the courage to stand up and say, this is what the Word of God says and this is why we believe it. Now, let me tell you where I am as a, a preacher of the gospel, as a minister of the gospel. I will not preach something that I cannot demonstrate from the Word of God. I won't preach something just because 
uh, of a tradition. I won't preach something or take a stand for something uh, just because I feel a pressure to do it. I preach things that are true from the Word of God. Amen? And that's what God calls me to do. And, and, and I, also, I also will not ignore something that is clear from the Word of God just because there's a pressure to ignore it. Amen? And I'm thankful for a pastor who feels that way as well. And so, uh, I implore you tonight, regardless of your spiritual background or your current view, how you, maybe you've never thought about this issue, maybe this is the first time, maybe you've thought about it and you've just kind of uh, fluffed it over and, and, uh, and just kind of came up with a view based on feelings and emotions. Let me just ask you to prayerfully consider what the Word of God has to say about it and ask the Lord to, to help you see uh, the issues of outward holiness, the way God views them and the way the Scripture presents them. So could we do that right now before we go to the next slide? Could we lift our hands and ask the Lord to give us a tenderness to His Word? Lord, I pray right now, God, for those that are here and those that are watching online, for those that are going to listen to this later and see this later. I pray that your word would help shape us, God. I pray that we would not be intimidated by culture, but Lord, that we would be instead, that we would be surrendered to your word completely. Put a love in our heart for righteousness and holiness, God. We love you and praise you. And everyone said in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, next slide. And I want to take you to Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus 19 and verse number 32. This is one of the first references in Scripture where we began to get an idea of how God feels about hair. And the first thing that you need to know about God, and we find it from the Word of God, is that God likes gray hair. Now, I tease my wife a lot, and I tell her that I would give anything to have gray hair. I'm just going to have no hair before long. So I can't understand people who have hair and, wanna, and are unhappy with their hair. Just any hair would be great. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But God likes gray hair. And look at Leviticus 19.32. says this, Thou shalt rise up before, the King James says the hoary, but that's a, a word for gray. Thou shalt rise up before the gray head and honor the face of the old man. All the elders say, praise the Lord, glory to God. Hallelujah. Thou shalt honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. I am the Lord. Praise God. Have you noticed that, that God connects the fear of God to the idea of giving honor to those that have gray hair, those that are elderly, and, and the fact that they are elderly is demonstrated by their God-given gray hair. Now, the entire book of Leviticus is a call for God's people to be a holy, separated people. Why? Because we serve a holy God. If you want to serve a holy God, you've got to be holy and separated unto Him. That's why the Bible tells us repeatedly, you can't love the world and love God at the same time. Because God will not share His glory with this world. 
And so we are called to be separated and holy. In Leviticus, the word holy is used 152 times. And while some of Leviticus is strictly ceremonial, much of it is just as relevant to daily Christian life as the Ten Commandments. In fact, many of the instructions found in Leviticus give practical guidance for properly obeying the Ten Commandments. Let me give you an example. In the scripture we just read, Leviticus 19.32, it shows us a practical way to obey two of the commands in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be prolonged, and thou shalt not covet. So, by respecting elders, the gray head, we automatically honor our aged parents. Interestingly, the fifth commandment, the commandment to honor our father and mother, is the only commandment with a blessing immediately attached that your days may be prolonged. If you want the blessings of God in your life, if you're younger here tonight and you're not quite to that gray-headed phase, I want you to know that God will bless you if you will give honor to those that have gray hair, to those that are aged, to those that are demonstrating wisdom before God. There's a blessing attached to that. By respecting our parents and elders, we access the blessing of prolonged life. If we honor age, we will not be tempted to covet our neighbor's youthfulness. Did everybody catch that? See, one of the problems with the changing of our hair color is that we are denying our age. And what we're really doing is we're demonstrating a spirit of covetousness where we say, I don't want to appear aged. I would rather appear young. And that is a spirit of covetousness. And so we reject that spirit. Instead, we give honor to gray hair. Leviticus 19.32 connects the fear, the reverence of the Lord with respect for the gray hair. To despise eldership now listen carefully, is to disrespect the ancient of days. The mandate to stand, and we don't do this like we should, but the mandate to stand when an elder approaches as a gesture of respect is still acknowledged in some modern cultures, but tragically in our culture. Now, I was taught as a young person, I was taught, in fact, um, if, if I didn't stand when an elder walked in the room or walked to the table, Mom will probably deny it now, but uh, she'd pinch my arm hard. And if I didn't feel like standing, I'd jump up to give honor to the gray head that walked in the room. That's what my parents taught me to do. The Bible teaches us to give honor to elders. But we see this, this kind of outward respect being abandoned in American culture. And we ought to ask ourselves the question, why? Why are we abandoning uh, respect for elders? I'll tell you why. Because like the ancient Greeks, American culture worships at the altar of youth and beauty. Remember, it was the ancient Greeks who popularized the, the mythical fountain of youth. Many people searched for the mythical fountain of youth, spent their whole life 
worshiping at a mythical fountain that would allow them to be young for the rest of their lives. And, and uh, we basically, essentially, are, are chasing the same myth right here in American culture where people desperately are looking for the secret to appear young for the rest of their lives, even if they're not young. They want to appear young for the rest of their lives. Alexander the Great searched in vain for that mysterious wellspring of eternal youthfulness. What a sad thing. Most people spend an astronomical amount of time and money trying to conceal any outward indications of aging. Hair dye, makeup, Botox, liposuction, all kinds of topical serums, and on and on and on, all promise to conceal a person's physical flaws and convolute their age. Billions, and I said billions with a B, Billions of dollars are happily paid each year for products that help people change from gray to a different color hair. This is a testimony to the extreme vanity of our society. When a person intentionally conceals their age, they practice deception, they reveal inward vanity, they disrespect their elders, and deprive younger generations of the ability to give that person the honor that they deserve. I, I'm reminded of, of one of Aesop's fables, an ancient Greek fable, a man with black hair. He had black hair mixed with gray hair, and he had two lovers, one old and one young. And the old one wanted him to look old, so she pulled out all his black hair. And the young one wanted him to look youthful, and she pulled out all his gray hair. And as a result, he was left completely bald. And there's, <laughs> and there's, been, there's been a lot of observations about that, and a lot of morals have been attributed to this fable. But it certainly illustrates the societal pressure to resist aging. But age, my friend, is relentless. And age cannot and it should not be denied in the end. Biblically speaking, gray hair is an honored outward symbol of wisdom and maturity. Certain realms, listen to me very carefully, young person. Certain realms of wisdom can only be acquired by experience and by enduring trials that strip away the immaturity of youth. Artificially changing that gray hair, that outward God-given sign of old age, experience, and wisdom is a denial of the primary process by which wisdom is obtained. Can I just tell you, uh, I, I'm not, I've already joked about it several times, but in all seriousness, uh, I may not be graying, but I am balding, and, uh, and I'm also not going to artificially change that as well, by the way. Uh, but let me just say this. I have earned every hair that has fallen off my head. Hello. Age is something that, that, uh, that is a gift from God. Hello. Every breath that you take, if you have breath in your body tonight, every breath that you take is a gift from God. God hasn't promised you another breath. God hasn't promised you that you'll wake up tomorrow. No. 
Every breath is a gift from God. And so if you've lived long enough to demonstrate age with gray hair, then you are a walking testimony of the goodness and the graciousness of God that he's kept you. And you have earned the respect and hopefully you're demonstrating the kind of wisdom that God calls elders to demonstrate. That's another lesson for another day. But God calls us to walk in that as well. And so this outward expression is something that we should that we should embrace rather than deny. Masking God-given gray hair includes a rejection of the responsibility that is required by age and wisdom. Did you know that when you become an elder, when you have lived long enough to be considered an elder, there are responsibilities that come with that. And by embracing that symbol, you are embracing God's calling, calling on your life. Certain realms of wisdom can only be acquired by people that are able to walk in the age that God has given them. Now, some people never grow in wisdom. Amen? Some people never grow in wisdom. And they want their appearance to match the level of their maturity. This is a problem. This is a problem when we would rather look young and immature than embrace the maturity that God wants us to walk in. This is a sign that we are viewing ourselves incorrectly. It's also a sign that we do not view age the way that God views age. And so, because many people refuse to stop acting young, they want their appearance to match how they behave. This is dishonesty to self. When they look in the mirror at their dyed hair, it makes them feel better. Why? Because they hide the truth from themselves. However, it actually often has the reverse effect. And I'm not saying this to be mean or ugly. I say this with a kind, loving spirit. Usually, dyed hair makes its wearer look synthetic and even older than the age they're trying to deny. This is the irony of when we try to run. Go to the next slide for me. This is the irony of when we try to run from, from the reality of how God made us is we wind up looking synthetic. And oftentimes it can even be laughable at a certain point. And this is not a good thing and certainly Christians shouldn't engage in it. Let me take you to Proverbs 16.31. Proverbs 16.31, the second scripture that we have where we begin to see the picture that God loves people with gray hair says this, the gray, the hoary gray head is a crown of glory. Can you say that with me? It's a crown of glory. Some of you have never looked at this scripture this way. It's a crown of glory. If it be found, now there's, there is something attached to this. If it be found in the way of righteousness, when you find... When, oh, I could preach this, but I don't have time. When you find an elder with gray hair that is walking in the way of righteousness, it is a crown of glory to that person. God forbid that an elder would want to cover their crown of glory. God help us. Hey, listen, I want my, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let my crown shine because I want people to know that I have earned this crown of glory walking in the way 
of righteousness. Somebody ought to say, praise the Lord. That's good teaching. So, gray hair in the eyes of God is a crown of glory. To be righteous and silver-haired is a God-given privilege. Just living long enough to acquire a single strand of gray hair is a blessing that should never, ever, ever be taken for granted. And the person who dyes their hair has chosen to please the eyes of men rather than the eyes of God. They disrespected their own dignity and tossed aside God's blessing. Again, this reveals a heart of vanity and pride that has spurned honor and humility. Let me take you to the next slide. Take you to the next slide so they can follow along. So why, we should ask ourselves, why are these scriptures even in the Bible? If nothing else, it teaches us that God likes righteous people with gray hair. Now, it means more than that. However, even if that was all that it meant, that should give us enough to pause before we think about changing our natural God-given hair color. Even more simplistically, changing hair color is like telling God He didn't do a good job. God help us. So, what else is a crown of glory in Scripture? We need to look at that very quickly. I'm going to try to move fast here. We know that gray hair, everyone said gray hair, is a crown of glory. Now listen to this. Isaiah 28 and 5 tells us that Jesus Christ Himself is a crown of glory for His people. Isaiah 62 and 3 tells us that. That Jesus Christ is the glory of God. He's the crown of glory of God. Isaiah 53 and 2 says, There was nothing about Jesus that was beautiful in the eyes of men, yet what was ugly in the eyes of men was beautiful to God. Everybody okay? Everybody with me? It's critically important to remember that God's definition and standard of beauty is often counterintuitive to us because we live in a corrupted, carnal world. God-fearing people must always be careful not to allow culture to tell us what beauty is. Not to allow culture... I don't want a magazine to define beauty for me. I don't want Hollywood to define beauty for me. I want God's Word to define beauty for me. And let me just pause here, and I'm going to get ahead of myself, because I realize that the dying of hair is typically something that women struggle with, although men do struggle with it as well. It seems to be a little bit more of a, a problem for women to overcome than men, but, but both sides uh, sometimes have trouble with it, so I'm, I'm jumping ahead. But let me just say to men here for a moment, if you do not consider, if you are pressuring your spouse or women in your life to change their natural God-given glory, shame on you. You have allowed the world to teach you what's beautiful instead of God telling you what beauty is. And you need to go back to a prayer closet and let God define beautiful for you. If you're a man and you don't find holiness beautiful in women, then you need to get in a prayer closet until you have the mind of Christ. Amen. And if you're a woman and there's a man in your life who is not respectful of, of, of uh, God's holiness, then you should run from that person, especially if you're not married and, and you're dating someone or talking to someone and they don't love holiness, you should run from that person. 
because they don't have the mind of Christ. And that's not something that you want to expose yourself to. You'll be hurt by it. And so we need to remember we live in a corrupted, carnal world. We don't let the world tell us what beautiful is. Now let me give you another verse that gives us insight into what God considers beautiful. Proverbs 20 and 29. Let me look and see if we're uh, anywhere near the right slide. Go to the next slide and let me see. Are we in the middle? Okay, good. Proverbs 20, 29. The glory of young men. Can we read this together just so I know you're alive? The glory of young men is their strength. And the beauty of old men is the gray head. The glory of young men is their strength. And the beauty of old men is the gray head. Once again, Scripture is emphasizing God's standard of what is beautiful. Age and wisdom are desirable things that should clothe us with dignity. Instead, we live in a world where we run from dignity because we want to be the young man clothed in strength. When really, we should be comfortable with growing into a place in life where now we're clothed with dignity. To reject that symbol is to reject God's design for our lives. Look at 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So look at, look at the biblical progression here. First, we receive a natural crown of glory, gray hair, through the process of old age and righteousness. That's Proverbs 16, 31. We will receive a spiritual crown of glory when Jesus comes for his people. Righteous people with gray hair are a prophetic symbol of righteous people with their eternal crown. If you don't remember anything else, you need to hear this tonight. Righteous people with gray hair are prophetic symbols of righteous people who have obtained the crown of glory that only Jesus Christ can give. Somebody lift up your hands right now and say, Lord, I want that crown. We want that crown, Lord. So people who break, people who dye their hair break this symbolism in their attempt to deny reality. This is a sad thing. Let's go to the next slide. I'm, I'm almost done, I promise you. Next slide. And I want to talk very quickly about the modern promotion of hair dye. The modern promotion of hair dye. And you, you should look, if you get a chance to, if you're a technological person, you, you should look up this article by Malcolm Gladwell called True Colors, Hair Dye and the Hidden History of Post-War America. It's a really long read, and, but if you care about... Uh, studying a little further, you should look it up. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, and it's, it's no secret that hair dye is a multi-billion dollar industry. But, but what you need to know is that the industry uh, is fairly new, really by modern standards. And it blossomed by promoting the idea of reimagining or reinventing yourself. Hair dye was, was first rooted, and I say that tongue-in-cheek on purpose, it was rooted in, in uh, the idea of helping feminist women who were embracing divorce around the world. There was a day when divorce is not the epidemic that it is today. And when women were breaking out and they were divorcing by the millions, uh, what the hair dye companies did 
is they, they prayed on those women and they said, listen, you can change everything about yourself. Now you're free from marriage and you can change your hair color. You'll be a new person. You can reinvent yourself. This was a part of the early feminist movement. And the psychology of hair dye for women emerged like a rebellious monster from post-war feminism. Hair dye has become synonymous with vanity, sinful lifestyle changes, sensuality, sexuality, and dissatisfaction with God's original artistry. This is not something that a Christian should be, should be attaching themselves to. This is not something that we should want to be a part of. Statistics tell us that 75% of American women dye their hair, while only about 11% of American men use hair dye. Those remarkable statistics give insight into the hypersexualized and fantasy-induced psyche of the average American woman and man. On average, women feel deeply dissatisfied with their natural appearance. This is tragic, by the way. And, and this is because we live in such a wicked culture that has caused women to be insecure because we live in a culture that tells women they're ugly if they don't do this and they don't do that and if they don't clip this and cut that and poke this and poke that. Listen, it's not of God and the church should have no part of it. God created you beautiful. God created you a natural phenomenon. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we should not be living in a world full of women who hate themselves and feel like they have to change their eye color, their hair color, and everything about themselves to be beautiful. God is not pleased with it. And men who partake in this are just as complicit. It's a sad, sad world. By the way, this is why, and I, I, I always go here and I'm sorry, but let me just tell you, I was looking again today at the suicide statistics for American women. It used to just be men killing themselves, and now women are doing it all over the United States on a daily basis. Why? Because the number one thing that women face on a daily basis is feeling like they're not pretty enough. Because we live in a culture that tells them that every day. Every magazine, every movie, every article they read, every, every little post on Facebook tells them they're not pretty enough. They can't measure up. And so they chase after, if I can just change this, if I can just change this, I'll finally be, and it, it never satisfies. It never satisfies. Why? Because only God can satisfy your soul. Only God can fill that place in your heart. And so this is a tragedy, a tragedy in, in, our, in our world. The unstoppable rise of social media has only added to this ongoing problem. We're all comparing ourselves on a daily basis. Uh, Instagram, all of it, it's just compare. We're looking and comparing. It's just our human nature. We don't mean to, but people are doing it, especially women. And so this creates pressure in their lives. And it would be extremely difficult to deny the drastic rise of female depression isn't directly linked to the unrealistic expectations of so-called beauty and fashion that our culture places on women. And by the way, now our culture places it on little 10-year-old girls too. You know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when it was just 
the moms who felt this pressure, but I've watched it change, and now I see little nine-year-old, ten-year-old girls facing this pressure to unrealistically change and alter themselves in order to be something different than how God created them. I'm just telling you, this is not what God has called the church to be about. God has called the church to be, to be completely different than this way of thinking. And hair dye is just one aspect of the overall pressure that women feel to cover their flaws or enhance their beauty. And this is largely because men and the media have objectified women now for decades. And I'm just going to tell you right now, men need to stop objectifying women. Churchmen need to stop objectifying women. And we need to start viewing holiness and women through the eyes of God. Many women place these unreal expectations on other women as well. I <laughs> I've, I've got enough women in my life to tell you that some of you women are harder on women than the men are. Ain't nobody meaner to a woman than other women sometimes. Women put expectations uh, on people, and, and this is, and oftentimes it's, it's peer pressure, uh, especially on our young girls, the peer pressure that, that is, is very dangerous and hurtful. Society places overwhelming pressure on women to synthesize their appearance in the name of fashion and beauty. These standards of beauty are incompatible with God's standards of holiness. I'm going to say that one more time and give you a chance to say amen. These standards of beauty are incompatible with God's standards of holiness. I'm, going to, I'm taking my time tonight. I'm usually quick. I know I am, but tonight I'm, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to tell you a story. I, 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 wasn't, I think it was last year uh, with the family, we were on vacation, and uh, I was with my daughter on, on a beach somewhere. Where did we go? Were we in Jamaica? or I don't remember where we went to last time. Maybe the Cayman Islands. And we were on uh, this island in a fairly secluded beach, and we were all modest, by the way. In case you're wondering, we were all modest, including my daughter. And we were stepping in the water, and she had a long, modest swim dress uh, that my mother had made for, a dress that made with material that could get wet, and it was, it was, uh, it was a beautiful day, and we'd stepped out. And I, I remember uh, a woman walking over to my daughter and saying, where is your bathing suit? And immediately as the dad, I'm thinking, mind your own business. It is not your business. And she started to just just kind of say, why would you be out here without a, without a bathing suit? And, and I love my daughter. She said, because I'm not showing my body to everybody. I said, praise the Lord, glory to God, hallelujah. That is a good girl right there, apostolic young lady. And, uh, and so she kind of, I was walking over because I was about to give her a little piece of my mind and say, you know, you do us all a favor, I'll give you a blanket and you can go home. God bless you in Jesus' name. And, uh, but I didn't have time and I got over there and I told my daughter, I was proud of her and told her she was beautiful. But that, that story comes to mind because it illustrates the pressure that society puts on people. You can't even enjoy a pretty day just sticking your foot in ocean water without someone coming over and saying, why don't you just take your clothes off like me? I'll tell you why, because I serve a God who calls me to be modest and holy and righteous on vacation, off vacation, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. All right, go to the next slide. I'm moving quick. Psalm 96 and 9. Psalm 96 and 9 says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty 
of holiness. Everyone said holiness is beautiful. Y'all believe that? God said it. Holiness is beautiful. God created every individual with unique beauty. To reject holiness and God's artistry is an insult to God. Men who don't view godly women as beautiful are carnal and corrupted by the cheap enticements of the world. Women who despise holiness are held captive by crushing societal peer pressure and their own inward vanity. It's important to understand the duality of motives for changing appearance. Some women change their appearance to fit in, while some women change it to stand out. So if you're changing your appearance to fit in, that's giving in to peer pressure. If you're changing your appearance to stand out, that's vanity. Both motives are highly problematic for different reasons. Now, men struggle in these areas as well. But in the context of hair dye and, and some other body modifications, men feel less pressure and don't battle these temptations nearly as often as women do. But for men and women, God desires us to be free from the shackles of envy, pride, vanity, objectification, insecurity, shame, and worldly expectations. Can I get an amen? Stand with me. I'm closing with this scripture. Psalm 139, 14 says this, and I think that some of us need to remember this. The psalmist said, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you and God made me. And I don't need to change because the world tells me I need to look like something else. No, I'm created in the image of God. Oh, somebody needs to get this tonight. You were created in the image of God. The master creator, the great designer, the ultimate artist. He fashioned you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knit your DNA together. And you are the way you are because God loves you and God designed you. And I'm not going to insult God by saying, Lord, I'm not happy with what you did, so I've got to look like somebody else. No, I want to look the way God called me to look, the way God designed me to look. And so much of the depression and so much of the, the, the insecurity that people face, and by the way, people are facing it at absolute record levels. People are, young people are dealing with, with feelings of insecurity and feeling inadequate at absolute record levels. You will never convince me that it's not because we live in a world that's constantly telling them you've got to look like that singer or you've got to look like that movie star or you've got to look like that bulimic anorexic model. Something they could never do even if they tried everything in this world? No, they need to be the way God made them to be. And then we find ultimate, ultimate satisfaction in our heart and in our soul. I know that this is one of those subjects that some of you absolutely already had settled your mind on. Some of you feel a little tense about it. Some of you never thought about it. And we're going to come back to it at another time. But I want us to lift up our hands and say, Lord, I want you to help me with my self-esteem. Could we do that, God? I want to view myself 
the way you view me. I want to love myself the way you love me. I don't want to be conformed to this world, but I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I want the Holy Spirit to transform any carnality in my thinking. I want my thought process to be holy. God, I want the way I think about myself to be holy. I want the way I look at other people to be holy, God. Lord, we want to be like you in everything that we do and help us to be strong and courageous. We love you and praise you. And someone said, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, Greet someone COVID style. That means you got to like wave at them or uh, fist bump them or just tell them God bless you from four or five, six, seven feet, whatever you feel comfortable with. God bless you. We'll see you on Sunday. Amen.